0: Well, good morning church. How are we all doing? Well, those are some really kind words that uh, Pastor Lou shared, Um, but really it's my pleasure to be up here in front of you this morning, and I'm so excited uh, to continue our Christ Through the Carols uh, sermon series with you. Uh, so as Lou mentioned, my name is Mike Rockefeller. Uh, me and my wife Heather have been coming to Kings around five years, maybe even five years this weekend. It was December, uh, 2016 that we started coming. Um, and 17 months ago we were blessed with a beautiful, uh, baby girl named Hadley. You might have seen her running around here. Actually, she's sleeping on dad's, uh, grandpa's lap over there. Um, so, and that has been an absolute blessing. Um, so I want to thank the pastoral team for giving me the opportunity to Uh, Preach to you this morning and share some of the truths in God's Word. Um, So, this weekend marks the fourth weekend in Advent. um, And in the first three weeks, we looked at the um, hope we as Christians find in our Savior Jesus Christ through the carol, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Followed by, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We looked at the peace that surpasses all understanding as we look to Jesus. And last week, Pastor Ricky walked us through Joy to the World, and admittedly, I was not here last week, but I heard uh, this place was rocking when we were singing that carol after, uh, after Ricky's sermon, so praise God for that. So like I said, this weekend marks the fourth week of Advent, and it is the advent of love. Advent, advent meaning the arrival, so we're going to look at the arrival of love this morning. And being tasked with The topic of God's love for my first sermon seems quite daunting because there's a lot you can cover in one message. But to guide us and to continue in our uh, carol series, we're going to look at love through the lens of what child is this. So now a little backstory before we dive in. What child is this was written by a man named William Chatterton Dix, who was born in Bristol, England in 1837. In 1863, when Dix was around the age of 26, he moved to Glasgow, Scotland, and took a manager's position at a marine insurance office. I tried to look up what that was, I have no idea, but there's a trivia fact for you. Dix was known to be a wonderful wordsmith, writing many poems and hymns in his day, one of these being, What Child Is This?, and uh, Dix wrote it in the year 1865 and it is said to have been crafted from some of his previous poems, most notably The Manger Throne. I'm not going to walk through that poem today. I don't have enough time, but I urge you to take a look at it. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, What Child Is This? was published in the first series of Christmas Carols New and Old in London, England, in 1868, where it was set to the easily recognizable tune of Greensleeves that we all know today. So without further ado... Here are the lyrics of What Child Is This? What child is this who, laid to rest on Mary's lap, is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste, to bring him, Laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby, joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Now, as I looked at the lyrics of this carol, two topics seem to come right to the surface. I know, my first sermon, I don't have three points, I only have two points for you today, but I hope to, I hope to meet the caliber of uh, the other pastoral staff here. Um, and those two topics are the love displayed to the son and God's love displayed to the to us. So let's start looking at the love that was shown to this child, Christ the King. The first verse of our carol walks through the story as written about in Luke chapter 2, which many of you may have picked up on it since both Pastor Lou and Pastor Ricky in the past few weeks have gone right to that scripture as well. I won't spend too much time there, but I think it'll be interesting to look at this uh, scripture through the lens of love, whereas they looked at it through the lenses of hope, and joy. So if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 17. Uh, If you have your Bibles. If you don't, there's some Bibles in the back by the sound booth. And if you do not own the Word of God, it is yours to take home. So uh, here, the Word of God, Luke 2, 8 through 17. And in the same region, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. This scripture paints a beautiful scene. I imagine rolling hills under a starlit sky, uh, shepherds quietly watching over their flocks, sheep dotting the hillsides, very serene, very still, and very peaceful. This serenity soon gets thrown to the wayside when an angel appears scaring the pants off of these shepherds. Saying that there's this baby born who is Christ the Lord, and if that wasn't confusing enough, he brings a whole bunch of his friends, saying at the top of their lungs, "Glory to God in the highest," and then they were gone as quickly as they appeared. Now imagine being those shepherds for a second, just minding your own business, doing your job, watching your sheep, and then bam, an angel and hundreds of heavenly beings yelling at you about some baby. That must have been uh, pretty, pretty uh, frightening, and they must have been pretty shaken. But I have to imagine there was some awe in that as well. Heavenly angels coming to earth, and as the scripture says, with the glory of the Lord shining around them. That must have been both frightening, but awe-inspiring. I'm sure they took a moment to just silently soak in and comprehend what they just witnessed. And frankly, they were probably lucky to be alive. Back in those days in the Old Testament times, anyone who approached God in his, in his glory without the proper procedures and processes, were killed on the spot. There was all sorts of different steps that they had to take in order to approach the presence of God. So after they kind of checked all of their uh, appendages and made sure that they were still living, um, they talked to one another and said, well, we gotta, we gotta go check, check out what's going on. And they made haste, or went quickly, to see for themselves this child. And once, there, once they saw him, The scripture says, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. It all clicked. They knew this was no ordinary baby. It was good news. They knew he was worthy of their worship, and they knew this baby was the savior of the world. And what did they do next? They made known. They shared this good news. They didn't keep this knowledge for themselves. They let their voices be heard. Their Savior is here. This, this is Christ the King. It's something worth pondering. Is that how we respond after having a moment with our Savior, Jesus Christ? Or as my mom calls them, having Jesus moments where the full power and holiness of God and the salvation the Son brings us floods our soul? Do you have a desire to share that? Or do you keep it quiet? Is there a moment of doubt That you don't want to be seen as weird or different. But family, these shepherds, they saw, they believed, and they made known. There was no hesitation. They didn't care if they were seen as weird. And I wouldn't think they would care who it was that they were sharing to. They just wanted everyone to know. Now moving down the song a little bit into the third verse. It opens with, so bring him incense, gold, and myrrh, which is a pretty clear reference to the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 and the gifts that they brought, him, brought the baby Jesus. Now, I say that, but it should be known that the timeline that most of us are familiar with, with the Christmas stories and the Christmas movies of baby Jesus lying in a manger, the donkeys and sheep just quietly watching him sleep, and then the wise man walks in with all these expensive gifts, that's not quite what happened. In reality, the scriptures do say that there were three, three magi traveling to witness uh, baby Jesus and bring him gifts. The number three was is tradition based on the three gifts that were presented to him. But where the story differs from scripture is when they arrived. It is said that Jesus was likely a toddler before the magi made their appearance, which would explain why, as you, if you read through Matthew chapter 2, Herod the king at the time, uh, after the Magi had told him of this newborn king, called for the killing of all male children two years and under. Now, with all this time that passed, I think that gives us a much deeper glimpse into the love that was shown to this baby from the Magi. These men had such love for a baby that they left their livelihoods and homes to travel to see him for themselves and present him with quite expensive gifts. And this journey, this planning, it didn't happen in a matter of hours where it could be seen as like a gut reaction, like, oh, okay, let's go. It happened over months and years. They were committed. Now, they didn't just wander aimlessly, seeing this star. Matthew 2 also tells us that they knew exactly where to look, thanks to the prophet Micah. Micah 5.2 But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For you shall come forth for me, one who is, the, be, is to be ruler in Israel, Excuse me, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now on top of this, the Magi must have known intimately the prophecies of Christ's coming through the book of Isaiah as well. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So they knew where to look, and they knew who they were going to find. And they were very eager to meet him. Now, can you imagine a desire so great that it doesn't escape you over the time of months or years? You just keep longing for that moment. There was a powerful affection at play here with these magi. <clears throat> now I'd be amiss to talk of a love to a child without talking of the a loving mother's love to her child. There is no earthly love greater than that of a mother to her child, and after watching my daughter Hadley be born and watching my wife go through the agonies of childbirth, that just seemed to be wiped away in mean, that first embrace with her daughter was absolutely incredible. It's as if nothing in the world, no other troubles mattered at all anymore. The pains from just moments before were ancient history. Now Mary would have been no exception to these emotions. Yes, the circumstances were different because Jesus is the Son of God, but there's still a human maternal relationship at play here. The love shown for her child in the moments after he was born must have wiped away all the struggles to get to that stable. Being rejected at the inn being forced to give birth in filth. That didn't matter anymore. All she could feel was a deep affection for her newborn son. This carol is interwoven with all these wonderful glimpses of the love shown for the Son of God. We just looked at Mary with her motherly love. We sing of the angels giving loving praise to Christ the King, and we see the shepherds witnessing for themselves and spreading the good news of their Savior. Do we feel that same affection? So deep a love that nothing else in the world matters? That we could sing of His glories and share the good news of His salvation that He brings us into everyone around us? So now we're, we're gonna move from Mary the Mother and look at God our Father, who out of His love gave us His only Son. Which leads me into my second point. God's love displayed for us in Christ. So if you would turn with me to one of the most well-known passages in scripture. John 3, chapter, John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. We'll camp out here for a bit. So hear the word of our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now in Refuge this year, we're walking through a curriculum that brings us through Genesis and the fall of man. And when we were on a uh, passage on the fall and teaching on that, one, one student raised his hand and said, why didn't God just kill Adam and Eve when they sinned against him? It'd be a heck of a lot easier than cursing everybody else to die, right? I mean, he had a point. Two is much, be- much lower than, well, everybody else. But he missed a key point of God. God loves his creation. God is love, as told in 1 John chapter 4. So if God is both love, and he also holds the attributes of, as the Bible teaches of omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence, which are big words for all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere, then his love must also be all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere. He knew Adam and Eve was going to sin. It didn't surprise him at all when they did. And yet he still loved them. He had a plan to redeem his beloved creation from the grips of that sin. He was going to send his son to live a sinless life, to die on the cross. And as our, sorry, as our perfect atoning sacrifice, so as John 3 tells us, that all who believe in him will not die, but have eternal life. Now, the book of Leviticus spells out the requirements for an atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice must be without blemish and perfect in order to wash away the sins of man. Typically, the Jews in the Old Testament would sacrifice animals for atonement. Atonement meaning to cover, or to cover sin, or to create reconciliation between sinful man and a holy God. However, these sacrifices had to be repeated annually, as the animals were never truly perfect. To fully atone for the sins of man, a man would have to be sacrificed. So we sinners needed a perfect, spotless human to be sacrificed on our behalf so our sins can be covered up or erased before the eyes of God. But see, there's a problem. All of humanity is stained from the original sins of Adam. That original sin has been passed on to all future generations. As Romans chapter 5 tells us, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Humanity was hopeless to find the perfect sacrifice among us. But God sent his Son to take on human flesh, to be both fully man and fully God, so that he had the ability to live the sinless life that was the requirement. For the atonement. So, if it was not for that, we would still be hopeless. Jesus was, and will forever be, the only person to ever live a perfect life without sin. God sent His Son, knowing full well He would die a brutal death on a cross, whereas our Carol sings, "Nails and spears shall pierce Him through," and He did it because He loves us, His creation. And his children. Now let's look back at John 3.16 for a minute. I want to hone in on one word, and that's the word but. But with one T, not two. There's a big difference. Now I love this word because when I see it in Scripture, it's generally placed between a point where it's talking about how messed up humanity is, and then it talks about how awesome our God is. So in John 3, that's no exception. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This word, but, is such a word that when it's placed in a sentence, it kind of negates or does, doesn't need the uh, words that were before it. So, for example, if I tell you, I almost had cereal for breakfast, but instead, I had pancakes. I might have just told you that I had pancakes. Did anybody really care that I almost had cereal? The statement of fact is that I had pancakes. The fact that I almost had cereal just adds some extra detail. Not that these extra details are inconsequential, but they're there to support the main point. This, the same goes for our scripture. Let's read again. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, I'm not saying that we should take anything from scripture, but for just a bit, let's reread 16 and 17 without the supporting details. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. For God did send his son into the world in order that the world might be saved through him. That really brings the meaning and the statement of fact in that scripture to the surface. But now, as I mentioned, those supporting details that we removed aren't inconsequential They're in Scripture for a reason, and there's two words that were removed, the words perish and the word condemn. Condemnation and death are the supporting details to the Scripture's statement of fact because those are the alternative. Remember, all of humanity is cursed to die because of the sins of Adam. This sin has flowed down through every generation since. No one can escape it. And this sin, which cannot stand before the eyes of our holy God, is a death sentence. We are all by nature condemned to die because of our sin. If it weren't for our Savior, our atoning sacrifice. God the Father loves us so much that he sent Jesus, his son, not to condemn us, but to save us. God does not wish for us to die. He wants us to have eternal life with him. So what does our scripture say are the qualifications in order to receive this eternal life and salvation? It's that whoever believes, belief, that's it. Not whoever's done nothing wrong, Not whoever is the most popular or the most generous. Not who's rich or who's poor. Not if you're from a certain race or if you're politically right or politically left. Just whoever believes in the son's work on the cross for their behalf. The invitation is open to everybody. Our carol, what child is this, even sings of this in the third verse. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings, let loving hearts Enthro him Whether it's a peasant or a king who believes their savior has come. Now this just isn't a belief that Jesus was a man in history who walked the earth, but a belief that he is the savior of the world. There is a huge difference. One's just a trivia fact. The other is a true belief that stirs up a disgust of the sin that is inherently in us and around us. And it gives us the desire to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. It's through this true belief in Jesus that his sinlessness gets imputed to us to wipe away our sinfulness as we approach the Father on our final day. So that we will be seen by the Father with the beautiful righteousness and perfection of the Son and not our filthy Sinfulness. And our response? The last line I just read from our carol uh, mentions it. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Enthrone him in your hearts this morning. Lift him up, praise him, and truly believe. Do you believe this morning? Do you truly believe? Do you believe that God loves you enough that he would send his son for you? We are all on the timeline of eternity. So when our earthly bodies die, that's not the end. There's still forever to go. But the Bible says there are two paths we can take. For those who do not believe in the Son, the Bible says there's nothing but pain and anguish. But for those who truly believe, there is a life of majesty in glory in heaven with God our Father. So I'll ask again, do you believe that God loves you enough to send his son for your salvation so you can enjoy that eternal life? I assure you he does. For God so loves you that he sent his only son to die for you. Turn in faith from a life of sin this morning and walk boldly with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as I was preparing this message, I got thinking a lot about the love of God. And just for a minute, I'm going to let you in on a glimpse of eight-year-old Mike Rockefeller. <laughs> so whenever me and my brothers would go to McDonald's or any restaurant, really, that had a soda machine that wasn't behind the counter, but I could get my cup and have all the power in my hands, that I can walk to this machine, have an endless supply of any soda I want, and just go for it. So what did eight-year-old Mike do? Did he responsibly fill it up, put the lid on it, walk back when stuck out of the straw? No. He filled it up, let the fizz die down, and filled it up, filled it up, filled it up, filled it up until it just got to the top of the cup. Because I wanted as much soda as I could get because I wasn't sure Mom was going to let me go get seconds. But then there's a problem. I'm up at the little trigger, and then as soon as I move it, it, of course, just spills everywhere, all over the counter, making an absolute mess. So you might be wondering where the heck I'm going with this. But God's love is that soda from the soda fountain. There is a endless supply of it if you just lean in. So if you're here this morning, maybe for the first time and are not a Christian, I want to tell you this, that you have a father in heaven who longs to have a relationship with you. He loves you. Now, you may have gone through some hurt or may feel that nobody can love you. But as I mentioned earlier, God's love is perfect and all-knowing. So he knows everything about you. And yet, he still longs for you. Nothing can be hidden for him, from him. He still loves you with an all-powerful love that once you belong to him, once you press in and truly believe in his son, it's inescapable. There is an endless supply of this love available to you because of the work of his son, dying on a cross for you so you can be redeemed. And if only you believe in this sacrifice and turn and walk in his ways, you will always have somewhere to lean in and let love overflow you. Look around at this world Do you see an endless supply of love? I don't. I see a world propelled by hate. And in order to have purpose and meaning, it has to be at the expense of somebody else. But I assure you, if you turn to God, you will have purpose and meaning because he labels you his child. And Jesus Christ, the baby, the son of Mary, paid the ultimate price So that you can have access to this abounding love of the Father. Now as the band comes up, I want to ask my fellow Christians. With this abounding love at our disposal, love that is available to you whenever you press in, what will you do with that? Will you press in just enough to fill your cup, put your lid on it, and suck out of it with the straw? Or will you hold fast, let that love overflow you, spread all around you? And brothers and sisters, we have access to this perfect love, but we are no by no means perfect. As the saying goes, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for the saints. And I would also add to that, the church is an outpost for the mission. We are called to be lights in this world, beacons reflecting our God to those around us. Are we actively spreading this good news of this love? Are we sharing it with loved ones, with family, with friends, with coworkers, neighbors, whoever might be there to listen? We are called to be different. So let's go out into this broken world and share some love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this love that you show us, even though we do not deserve it. We thank you for giving us a way to know you and experience this love through the work of your Son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, stir in us a desire to share this love with those around us and fill us with your presence so we can enter this world boldly as salt and light and your beacons. Feeling okay with being different. Because the only label that matters is that we are all children of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.